With your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, alongside the super producer extraordinaire, the silent assassin, Matt Costa. He is manning the boards here in the Spooky Studio. We also have uh, our associate producer, We'll, we'll give her that title, associate producer, spooky wife, uh, manning the other controls tonight, taking care of some other stuff, <clears throat> planetparanormal.com. Hello to all of you joining us for, I guess, the first time uh, officially coming out of the spooky studio and going across planetparanormal.com. That's all we'll say about that so we don't get in trouble here. And the science advisor, Matt Moniz, along as well. How are you, Matt? I'm fine. Uh, not me. I'm not. I'm still a little bit woozy from earlier today. I, uh, I gave a pint. Uh, not of oil, either? Yes, you donated blood. I did. I like to donate blood. You know where I especially like to donate blood? When you have to go to the hospital to visit somebody in Boston, and it costs like $30 to park. Because if you donate blood, they'll give you a free parking. So. And a juice and cookie. Yeah, you know what, too? They were very nice today at the uh, the Eagle Troop blood drive at the Masonic Lodge in Wareham. They were very nice. They gave us uh, some, some uh, cheese nips and uh, nice white cranberry... Uh, white grape raspberry cranberry juice and bottles of water with the Red Cross logo on them. Oh, yeah. When I walked out of there, I felt, you know, pretty good for being a, a pint down. Mm. So anybody uh, out there who has not donated blood, we highly recommend that you do. And uh, we're not talking about vampirism either. Not not tonight. No. We're talking about donating it for others to use. And uh, also, Matt Costa, you had an exciting afternoon today. Uh, you you got to go to the New Bedford CUUPS uh Psychic fair that happened here. I did. It was, it was pretty good. It was, to was, say the least. Yeah. Well, you're not a big uh, you're not a big believer in in psychic abilities. No, uh, but it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just the psychic aspect. There was a lot of metaphysical stuff there, a lot of uh, like healing stones and things like that. Crystal healing yeah. and like laying everybody down. Yeah. It was aura photography, which did you guys talk about it last week? We did a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. What'd you think? Um, I don't know. Did you pay? Did you have it done? I didn't. I saw it done. Okay. I'm skeptical to did, say the least. Did you sit down with a psychic or? No, I didn't. But maybe well, next time. I didn't either, so uh, I can't really comment either. But uh, you know, we are going to keep you up to date though on all the psychic fairs that are around here because uh, they are like-minded people to what we're talking about here on Spooky South Coast. And we say all the time, you know, we're very skeptical of psychics and we question psychics, but that's our job. We have to do that. Uh, when you go to one of these psychic fairs, you know, you're going to get the experience. Uh, you're going to ma- get out of the experience what you put into it. You know, if you're looking for help and guidance, I'm sure you can find it there. Uh, and if you're going to go in there with a skeptical question saying it's all a bunch of baloney, that might be the way you come out feeling as well. But uh, we will keep you up to date on what's going on because that's our job. It's not our job to make up your minds. It's only our job to give you the information to allow you to do so. And speaking of information, we have a whole bunch of it for you tonight because we're going to be joined in just a few minutes by Patrick Burns. Uh, you know him from Court TV's Haunting Evidence, and he's also the founder of the Ghost Towns Network and the organizer of Ghost Stock. He's going to talk to us about that event, about the new season of Haunting Evidence, as, as much as he can reveal. 
uh, ahead of time. And, you know, he works closely with with a psychic and a, and a forensic psychic. So we're going to talk to him about how he feels about some of that stuff. And we'll also talk a little bit later on in the program with Rob Tremblay. He is the head of CERT, the Spirit Encounter Research Team. They're having their first ever CERT paraconference uh, coming up this September. And uh, they have advanced tickets on sale. you got to get them while they're hot because they're not going to last too long, especially when Patrick Burns is going to be one of the speakers at that event, as well as uh, old friends of Spooky South Coast, Keith Johnson, Sandra Johnson, Carl Johnson, uh, Andrew Graham of Near, and Derek Bartlett of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. So we will talk about that conference later on. We welcome your thoughts, questions, theories, anything to do with the paranormal. The numbers are 508 506-291-0500. Uh, you can give us a call anytime on those numbers. They're also up on SpookySouthCoast.com. So you can click on that website there. You'll get all the information to get in contact with us. We will be happy to talk to you. We'll have uh, Patrick take some of your calls as well. Your chance to talk to him about the show, uh, about paranormal investigating in general, uh, about just about anything. Uh, Matt Costa. Yes, sir. We, we thank the Red Sox for going easy on us we tonight. We do. All right. Do you want to, uh, should we take a break or are we all good? We can take a break. Okay. Why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk to Patrick Burns of Haunting Evidence and Ghost Towns and Ghost Stock and the CERT Para Conference. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Oh! Who's that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. Matt Moniz, that was excellent. And that, of course, is also the official signature of the Spooky South Coast Howler line, which you can call all week long at 508-471-I-HOWL. That's 508-471-4469. If you'd like to leave a message or a question on that line for us, uh, we'll put them all together, play them on the show. Uh, it's also the way to get a hold of us if you want to talk to us directly. Just leave us a message there, and we'll get back in touch with you. And if you want to call into the show tonight live while we're on the air, that's right. No matter where you are tonight in the world, you can hear us. Uh, it's about a minute and a half delay. So, But uh, other than that, I mean, that's as live as you can get, at least as live as we can get, because we had to kind of make emails with ourselves. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can call us, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We are here to talk about all things paranormal, maybe even a little few things normal, too, uh, if, if you so choose. So you can always uh, give us a call on those numbers. SpookySouthCoast.com also has all the information. Well, our guest tonight, you have seen him on Court TV's Haunting Evidence, uh, which is, you know, it's, it was when I first saw it for the first time, I was a little bit skeptical going into it, knowing what the show was about and saying, gee, you know, they're going to have, you know, they have a medium uh, by the name of John J. Oliver. They have a psychic profiler, Carla Barron, and a paranormal investigator, Patrick Burns, our guest tonight. And I was thinking, you know, Anytime you can have a psychic in the mix, I get a little bit skeptical. But when you realize how well they work together and how well they keep each other in check and, you know, the way that they take this different approach, it makes for a really interesting dynamic. And uh, then, you know, of course, Patrick gets to do the, the really tough job of driving all the time, too. So the official chauffeur for Haunting Evidence, huh? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, would you really want uh, would you want John driving, say, and all of a sudden he starts channeling somebody and his eyes roll in the back of his but head? You, and... you know, actually having a, a psychic or a medium behind the wheel could be beneficial, uh, you know, because they could avert any accidents, you know. If, 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 if we're, we're heading into an area where we're going to get 
mowed over, you know, T-boned by a, a, a semi in an in a, in a intersection, you know, I guess having a psychic behind the wheel might be might be beneficial. <laughs> you would think so, yeah. Well, that was, you know, we were talking about that psychic fair uh, earlier this week, and, and the people involved, they called us, and they wanted us to... Uh, help promote it in the newspaper because I, I work for a newspaper here, and I said, "Gee, if it's a psychic fair, should anybody already know about it?" <laughs> yeah, there, there was somebody, uh, some some uh, stand-up comedian did a bit uh, uh, a few years ago. He said, "You know, I don't believe these psychic hotlines because if they were really psychic, they'd call me." You know, yeah, exactly. I knew you were going to pick up the phone and call me, so I decided to call you, save you the the, 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 the toll charges. <laughs> well, you know, looking in, into haunting evidence and, and the way uh, the way that that show is presented. Um, were you friends with with Carla and John before the show started? Did you know them beforehand? No, believe it or not, all three of us were uh, oblivious to one another's existence. John hadn't heard of Carla or I. I hadn't heard of Carla or John, and Carla hadn't heard of either John or myself. So we were all sort of thrown into the mix, um, you know, uh, fresh to, uh, to to working with one another and didn't really have any preconceived notions going in. Um, my only advance uh, information was that I, I knew, uh, I had been told that Carla um, had been a, uh, a, a cast member of MTV's Fear, so, uh, but that, 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 was, uh, that was the extent of uh, how I knew she, uh, 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 you know, her, her past work. Well, and so coming from a background of being a paranormal investigator, what did you think when they said, you know, we're going to have a psychic there? Uh, I know so we just worked with a group, uh, uh, a group out of Michigan uh, for a television show, and they had a psychic involved with the investigation. And it's it's an approach that, you know, not a lot of groups will take. Some groups will swear by it. Some right. groups will say, hey, we have them along, you know, just in case. Well, what, yeah. what did you think when you found out that was going to be part of the dynamic? Um, well, you know, I, I like you. I was listening to you guys in the first, uh, first bit of the, the show here, and I, you know, I liked what I heard when you said you were a skeptic. And I, I think you have to be as a paranormal investigator. It's imperative to go into this with an open mind about, uh, things and ask questions. A lot of people think that a skeptic is somebody who's a disbeliever. That's, that's not true. You know, when you're talking about a disbeliever, somebody who just poo-poo's the whole notion of anything, you're talking about somebody who's a, who's a cynic. Uh, skepticism, if you look up the definition in the, in the encyclopedia, uh, or rather the dictionary, uh, a skeptic is one who questions, which as an investigator of anything, be it paranormal, be it, be it a crime scene investigation, you have to ask questions. That's how you move the investigation forward and you rule out, you know, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the information that, that, that isn't, uh, isn't tangible to your investigation that isn't pertinent to what you're investigating. So you have to go into this with a, uh, you know, with, with a questioning mind. And when I was cast on the show, when I was asked to be a part of the show, and they said that they were going to have a, a couple of, uh, you know, a psychic and a medium on the program, um, I, I did raise an eyebrow. I was like, okay, you know, what, what's this going to be like? Because, um, while I do believe in psychic abilities, and I definitely believe in them now after having worked with John and Carla and having seen them in action firsthand and behind the scenes even, um, you know, I, I do question everything as a skeptic. And I believe that there are a lot of wannabe, uh, uh, you know, psychics and mediums out there, people that, you know, um, maybe believe that they, you know, want to have these abilities. Uh, and then, of course, there's the, 
the, the ugly side of it, um, the, the people that are out and out fraud that are out there just trying to make a buck. And so, you know, I, I definitely went into this with a skeptical mindset. Um, but having worked with John and Carla now for, uh, for almost two years, um, I'm really impressed by both of them. And, you know, psychic abilities, I, I definitely think there's something to it. I mean, it, like I, I've said in many other interviews, everybody's had deja vu. Everybody's had pre, precognition of an event just before it happens at least once in their life. Everybody has had something like this. Mm-hmm. Even, Absolutely. even a devout cynic, you know, if you get them to the point where, you know, you, you can kind of trick them into, uh, well, yeah, there was that one time, but I just dismissed it as nonsense. You know, it's like, aha, okay, so you've had personal experience with this as well. You know, it's not, these abilities aren't something that science can prove yet because science demands repeatability. Okay? When you lack the repeatability factor, everything is thrown out. It's dismissed as inconclusive or falsified. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the catch-22 that legitimate psychics and mediums have to contend with, is the fact that they can't repeat this under controlled observations, uh, and because of that, it can't be substantiated scientifically using the scientific model. But when you look at the number of police departments that have worked with psychics over the years, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that have actually solved crimes with the aid of psychics, I, and I'm, I'm very quick to point out that psychics do not solve the crimes, but they give, in many instances, the authorities areas to go look at. Yeah, they give them another uh, avenue to lead to lead exactly, the investigation. Exactly. Here's a person of interest that, uh, you know, one of your suspects, I think you should take a closer look at this person, blah, 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 blah. You know, or I, I see, you know, I, I think the body is going to be in this area. Um, you know, there are countless, countless instances where psychics have provided tangible clues to authorities. And then, of course, you've got uh, the federal government getting involved in remote viewing. You know, the, the Stargate pro, uh, uh, program, which officially has been disbanded, but um, if you if you believe that um, it's been completely disbanded, you're, you're probably uh, barking up the wrong tree. I think they, they just reallocate funds and, and give it another name when it becomes too uh, uh, known in the, in the public eye. Um, you know, the government doesn't throw money around on, on stuff like this. Needlessly, they they would not have kept the Stargate program going as long as they had been if they weren't getting yeah if there wasn't some kind of result yeah exactly if they weren't getting tangible results out of these people they would have you know they would have abandoned it a long time ago you know unless they were reappropriating the funds for something else which is another possibility mm-hmm. you know I think that's what the the government does a lot of their stuff is they they mix stuff around they you know. They were allocating money for this, and they actually, actually go someplace else. But the fact of the matter is the Stargate program was a real program um, operated by the CIA in which they were using uh, remote viewers to spy on the Soviet Union. And, um, you know, you have to, of course, all that information is still classified. You have to go uh, by, by the accounts of people that were actually participants in that program while it was going on and, and their books and their accounts. But... Um, you know, if if there was nothing to it, I really don't think that police departments and the federal government would be wasting their time with this at all. So, I mean, just I'm, because I'm, it lacks the repeatability that science demands, doesn't mean that it's not real. 
I'm a sports writer by trade, and I've made the analogy to someone before that I look at you know being psychic almost as being an athlete. Uh, everybody can step up and try and play the game, and some people you know have you know fun what? doing it in pieces, and then there are a few all stars. You know, Tim, you might be psychic as well, <laughs> because that's the exact same analogy, almost verbatim, that I've used very recently. I, I say everybody can dribble a basketball, but everybody can't handle that basketball like Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something I think, like I said, everybody's had deja vu, everybody's had precognition, you know, the phone rings while you're thinking about somebody you haven't spoken to in months, and all of a sudden the phone rings and they're on the other end of the line. Yep. Um, you know, there we we have little little blips, little hints of these abilities. We all do, and then there are, like you said, there there are the all stars that are out there. And I I like to I like to uh, equate this to you know it's almost like evolution. Okay, you, if you're talking about the evolutionary process where you know dinosaurs uh, evolved into birds. Okay, you know the, the smaller dinosaurs um, evolved into birds for millions of years. These there were these weird creatures walking around that had these stubby little appendages with, you know, feathers that really couldn't do much. I mean, they couldn't even take flight. And, uh, of course, these appendages were of no use for grabbing anything, picking anything up, because they were evolving into something greater. And I think we're sort of at that point right now in terms of these abilities where maybe, you know, we can, we can glide a little ways. We can jump up and glide a little ways, and they're... Some of them, some of us out there that can glide a little bit further than others, but it, it's it's by no means you know a uh, a way to get around yet for us. So you know, comparing it to the evolutionary process like that, I think that this is something. These are abilities that we are evolving into as a species, and who knows, a hundred thousand years from now, maybe psychic abilities, you know, maybe the sixth sense, whatever you want to call it, will be you know will, will be accepted from a scientific. Uh, standpoint, but but for now they need to have someone like yourself along on on these uh, cases that you investigate to have that scientific bit of evidence and uh, sure and and you know Tim I, I want to point out to to your listeners and anyone else uh, that that comes across this this interview at any point in time I am not a scientist um, I am just a a paranormal uh, hobbyist that happens to uh, to be cast on on this TV show I don't have I don't hold any degrees in any um, any sciences, um, but that's okay, you know, from my perspective. I don't think you necessarily need to be an astronomer to study astronomy. I don't think you need to be um, a, uh, a chemist to, you know, dabble in chemistry. Um, you know, I, I think that there are, you know, that if, if you look at it, you know, from a historical standpoint, you have a lot of quote-unquote scientists out there that obviously never had a, a degree from a university because there was no such thing at that time. You know, they were sort of pioneers. And exactly. That's where we are in terms of the paranormal um, because of the fact that this, th these, this phenomena is not repeatable. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be accepted by mainstream science, but, you know, because it doesn't repeat doesn't mean that there isn't something to it. Very well put. And this is coming from a scientist. You're extremely correct. Well, thank you very much. But, That's good to hear. But Matt's also of a similar approach. I mean, he's done a lot of studying and he's had a lot of schooling, but he also believes, um, not not to speak for you, Matt, but you also yeah. believe that you learn more getting off your ass and getting out into the field instead exactly. of just sitting behind a book or in, in a classroom. Exactly. I mean, 
people can tell you this or that, but until you actually go and look for yourself, you don't really know. This is plain true. and simple. And, and that's, that's what you're great doing, to hear. That is great to hear from a scientist because, you know, unfortunately I think there's a lot of people in the scientific community that are lemmings. You know, basically, well, so-and-so says this, so it must be so. Well, I guess that's, that's true in any field of study, but, um, you know, the, the ones that, uh, you know, really make a niche for themselves, that really are the pioneers, are the ones that, like you said, get up, get off their butts, and actually get out there and study the stuff for themselves, rather than reading about it and simply accepting what was written by so-and-so at face value. Who read another book written by so-and-so, who read another book. Exactly. 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 Um, one of the things I get all the time from... Uh, co other co-workers and other peers is, oh, why do you study the paranormal? And uh, my question back to them is, well, why not? And they always said, well, it's been shown that, you know, and proven that, you know, there's nothing to this. And my response to them is, show me that data. Show me the, show me those studies. Show me that evidence. You want to know something? Yeah. None of it actually exists. Nobody's ever really done it. Nobody's ever proven it. Nobody's no. disproven it. Look, and you know, look for yourself. That's what I'm saying. Look for yourself, and you'll find that it really has never been done. One well, way science, or the other. Science is not about proof. Science is not about proof. Science is about forming a hypothesis and collecting evidence to support that hypothesis to where it is accepted. Right. There it's is about no real such thing as proof because proof is a movable target. Mathematics is about proof. Two plus two. Two plus two, the product is always going to be four. You cannot argue that. It's not going to change. That is a provable equation. You know, mathematics is about proof. Science is about collecting data and forming a, an educated opinion, an educated guess about something, and that's really it, you know, what it amounts to. And, and even then, it's not the end-all, be-all. There are many times when science has to wipe the egg from its face because something is later proven to be false True. as, as, as more data is collected. And, and hopefully that's the point that the paranormal will get to eventually. There'll be a lot of egg on the faces of these skeptics who, uh, these cynics, I should say, uh, using Patrick's uh, uh, terminology. But so many of them have come down on the paranormal and saying, you know, it's not worth investing the time. It's not worth putting in the resources. And... But sooner or later, there's going to be enough proof. I mean, I, I personally think there's been enough out there already to sway me toward believing that it is true. Well, I, I think there is. And what's very encouraging for me is seeing more and more people in the scientific communities, you know, that may have in the past said, you know what, this isn't even worth studying. But as they see the data being collected mm -hmm. by researchers like myself, it, it's almost like a grassroots movement. And a lot of Scientists are now saying, hey, wait a second, you know, they're getting all of this. We really can't ignore this, you know. It's definitely worth studying and looking more into. You know what, though? We know what the one thing is that will make science accept the paranormal more uh, than any kind of verifiable data. It, grants. When they can start getting grants for this stuff, then they're going to start you looking into it. You hit the nail right on the head. When somebody can Absolutely. make a buck out of this scientifically yeah. and turn it into a product that can be marketed, that Absolutely. is when we will see funding Absolutely. actually go into research. I have said that many, many times, and I have also told people there is a reason why you don't see universities funding studies into the paranormal because there is no money to be made there. All of the grant money goes towards medicine, goes towards, you know, bio, biotechnology, places where there is a tangible profit to be 
be made eventually at some point. And a huge markup in that profit, too. And Yes, there is. Yes, there is. If you're talking about uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, look no further than... You're than talking to a person that invents <laughs> pharmaceuticals for a living. I was thinking <laughs> of <the> shot <laughs> out there. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, you know, absolutely, that's, that's the problem is there would be more... I think there would... I don't want to say... I, I, I caution to say there would be, you know... Um, damning evidence to 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 make our case, but I think there will be a lot more of it out there if there was uh, a, a a financial uh, means to the end um, in in terms of studying the paranormal. Right now, it's really nothing more than a, a casual curiosity for many people in the scientific community. I mean, people that go out and actually, you know, there are very few true parapsychologists in the world. Because the fact there's really no money to be made in the field. I mean, unless you write books and go out on on the lecture circuit, where are you going to to make a living in parapsychology? And and even so, uh, you can't just be any parapsychologist. You have to be one who can write, one who can speak. You have to Absolutely. have presentation skills, and you know, not everybody that's of a scientific background can get in front of everybody like that, or or can Absolutely. put written words together like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's it's really, um, you know, a very fringe area of science, and you know has been all along. But uh, you know, until until somebody figures out a, a way to make money off of this, um, rather than writing books or, or being on a TV show, um, you know, it's I think it's it's gonna it's gonna stay in that uh, place. So since there's no grant money right now, um, you know, all of the research is being done by you know, sort of a grassroots movement to, of, of independent researchers, of which I happen to be one. And, and, and who uh, are you? Where have you been published? You weren't, you know, you weren't in any of the scientific journals. And the, <laughs> the other money is where you were saying it was before, with the U.S. government doing it in defense contracting type of uh, arenas. Absolutely. Well, I've always Absolutely. said, you know, no matter how much of a markup that they can charge, there's no way that they're putting you know, $6,000 toilets into, you know, public uh, government courthouses and things like that. The, right. these, these extra monies, that might just be where they're burying some of the money that they're using for these other secret projects. You know what I mean? That was one of my favorite lines from the movie um, uh, Independence Day. It was when the president asked, you know, who pays for this? And they said, well, you really don't think we were paying $5,000 for a hammer, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's uh, when when I heard that line, I was like, you know, that makes that's what I've been thinking for years. Yeah. But then again, yeah, at the same time, you know, we know that they they overcharge for that stuff anyway. Of course they do, but not to that extent. <laughs> now uh, they, they might be the government, but they're not that stupid. At least we hope not. <laughs> Talking about being able to prove things, uh, that's where your show comes into play because you're picking up. Haunting uh, evidence picks up cold cases that have uh, kind of gone by the wayside and, and tries to find a fresh new perspective on those cases. And uh, yeah. you've you've had one season under your belt. How is that approach coming? I mean, are, are you being able to generate at least some leads that the law enforcement can use in, in furthering these cases? Oh, we definitely have, and and that's one of the um, the questions that I get asked the most. Is they say when when is there going to be some resolution in these cases? And I answer, well, I guess when the police decide that they've got enough evidence and the good on somebody to go and prosecute. You know, it's it's going to take time. I mean, the show uh, only premiered 11 months ago, so, you know, yeah. it, it takes just, just because a psychic, and... just because a psychic fingered uh, a person of interest, the police can't very
very well just go in with guns blazing and and arrest somebody. You know, they, they've got to have they've got to have more goods to go on. And police are generally, you know, they're they're very cautious about per, per, you know about um, in, indicting someone on uh, on murder charges because if uh, that person happens to be acquitted, very very difficult for them to indict somebody else. Mm-hmm. So they have to move very cautiously. Um, I will tell you this. That within the um, the filming of the show, uh, it's been very interesting to see the the mixed reviews that we receive from law enforcement. Um, some law enforcement officials, uh, predictably, are you know, well, we don't we don't believe in psychic abilities, but we'll do this for you know for the the good of the case, or you know, to be on TV or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have uh, other people in law enforcement agencies that may not have ever worked with a psychic or a medium, uh, but they have colleagues that have, and of course they've they've read the success stories where you know police have actually gone on the record and said, hey, you know, we wouldn't have looked in this area if these people hadn't told us where to look. And then you have um, people, you know, law enforcement that have had actual direct contact with psychic mediums and success stories themselves. So it really runs the gambit, um, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, we have both ends of the spectrum. We have, you know, the cynics in law enforcement, and then we have the believers in law enforcement, and then, you know, those that sort of fall in the middle, the middle well, we're not sure what we believe, but we're definitely willing to at least listen to John and Carla. And what they have to say. I mean, I'm sure um, in terms of evidence, it doesn't. If they need to find a body, say, uh, I'm sure it doesn't matter whether they get the eyewitness testimony of somebody who saw them burying a body, or whether they have a psychic saying, "Go look for the body here." The point is, the evidence is that they found the body. It doesn't matter how they found it. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And um, you know, the show to date, we haven't officially, um, you know, given given any any clues that have. Uh, brought about an indictment or a conviction yet, but again, I, I remind everyone the show has only been on the air for a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, give it give it some time, some of these, you know, these cases take years to be resolved. And you're you just know, finding we, pieces to a, to the puzzle, even in your work. Exactly, exactly, and um, there was one case uh, that we did profile in the first season that has actually um, seen resolution. Um, and this was the case uh, of Katie Sepich. Uh, she was the uh, co-ed uh, college student who lived in New Mexico. And um, for those of uh, your, your listeners that may not have, have seen this, this program, uh, Katie was at a party one night uh, drinking heavily with her boyfriend, got into an argument, and she wound up uh, walking home about five blocks back to her house that night. Um, she returned to her house only to discover that she didn't have her keys with her. And she tried basically breaking into her own house. And at that point, uh, apparently somebody confronted her and uh, raped, murdered her, and then took her body out into the desert and uh, basically set it on fire to try and uh, obscure uh, the evidence mm-hmm. um, of the crime, destroy the, the forensic evidence, rather, Um her body was uh, recovered uh, a day later, um, and unfortunately, uh, the, the, the you know the case obviously was 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 cold at a standstill. 
Uh, Katie's parents had a very controversial law passed in New Mexico, which they refer to simply as Katie's law. Anyone who is charged with a violent felony uh, to submit a DNA swab, and they basically take that DNA, they put it into a database, and they run a check on it. And uh, turns out that um, they found out uh, they, they found a match uh, to uh, the uh, DNA that was recovered from Katie's body at the crime scene. Uh, confronted this guy with it, and he confessed. I mean, he was already in prison on other charges, and when they um, when they confronted him with the fact that they had the goods on him, he confessed to the crime. Um, so, at least a uh, you know a, a, a happy, uh, um, well, maybe not a happy, but yeah, some but closure, some closure, closure yeah. for the family in terms of that case, right? Um, and of course, John and Carla were not. It was not uh, directly. Uh, related to any of any of the clues that John and Carla had given. However, John did indicate in that episode, he said that I believe this person is going to be caught in conjunction with committing another crime, and which, of course, did, did pan out. I'm also told that uh, the composite description that John had given of the perpetrator that he saw is uh, very, very eerily similar to uh, the, the photograph of the man that was convicted. Wow. So, uh, of course, we'll be doing a recap on that episode in uh, in season two here. Um, Which you know, is and, and everybody asked me that. Right? They said, when, are, when is there going to be resolution in some of these cases? And I said, well, give it time. And Absolutely. definitely as as details are, are made available to us, we'll make them available to the viewers as well. And, and season two starts next month? Starts season in June? two starts next month, I believe, uh, the... The launch date for season two is uh, June twentieth on Court TV. And is it still going to be on uh, the, the same prime time hours? Uh, same prime time hours, uh, except they they moved us actually a half hour earlier. We'll be on at ten o'clock Eastern. Okay, and, well, good. That goes better for us. We we'll have to get up early the next day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard a lot of people say that they were like, you know, I I, I love the show, but. Uh, I can't stay up until eleven o'clock. Ten thirty is my bedtime. So well, that's what, D- that's what TVR is for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully we're going to pick up a whole lot uh, more viewers for this season. Well, and, and too, the word has gotten out, and there's been some reruns, and, and people have had a chance to catch it you know, yep. in, in the off season. so they should be able to, to tune in now. I heard a rumor, and I don't know how much you can comment. I know whenever we have people from TAPS on, you know, they can't talk about what's coming up, and I'm sure you mm-hmm. can't comment too much on the upcoming cases, but I heard a rumor that you were going to be addressing the Natalie Holloway case. Uh, you know, I cannot officially comment on the cases except to say that we were in Aruba filming an episode of Haunting Evidence uh, this, this past winter, um, and that's all I'm allowed to say at this okay. point. Well, we'll Everybody's spe- going to have to tune in to see. We'll speculate from there, and, and we'll be tuning in, of course. We're not going to... We're not going to miss it. We hope everybody out there does. Now, one thing I want to talk about with you uh, before we let you go is a couple of conferences coming up. Uh, your own Ghost Doc, which uh, is packed for this year already, you've yes. already got a, a pretty big slate going on. Yeah, we sure do. We, uh, In fact, registration for uh, Ghost Doc just opened up today. And uh, for uh, your listeners that aren't familiar, we hold this in uh, uh, Savannah, Georgia. It's held twice annually, and we call it our Spirited Weekend of Spirits. Um, Savannah, Georgia is just an amazing town. It's beautiful. It's one of the few uh, um, towns in, in the uh, southeast that was not burned during the Civil War, during uh, Sherman's March to the Sea. Um, so it's, it's still uh, many of the buildings in the historic district 
uh, predate the Civil War and actually uh, go back as far as uh, the uh, Revolutionary War in some instances. So it's just an incredible town from a historical perspective, and um, as might be expected, uh, the house, the, the, the town has um, its share of ghost, ghost stories associated with it. Um, this is not an issue if you go into the historic district. Uh, literally every other building has a published ghost story, it seems, and I'm sure there are dozens and dozens of unpublished accounts. But we hold the, the conference there, and we do, um, we do panel discussions. We have uh, lectures. We have uh, vendors uh, uh, that uh, are, are selling various paranormal uh, items, such as books. And uh, the, the high point... Uh, the conference, however, is we break people off into uh, small teams of usually no more than 10 people, and we send them out to do exclusive investigations at various locations around Savannah and then come back and report their findings oh. about what they discovered. Excellent. And these investigations are open to anyone who attends the conference. Um, we do recommend that people register early because the early registrants get uh, preference over uh, the locations they get to investigate. So, uh, again, it's held twice in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Ghost Stock 5 is coming up this October in the conference. They can go to the Ghost Stock website. That's G-H-O-S-T-O-C-K. Uh, MySpace.com slash Ghost Geek. You know, Tim, you are definitely uh, win, uh, win the, the, uh, the trophy for the radio host that is most educated about me. <laughs> well, thank you. That's actually because I've been stalking you since I oh, okay. saw Haunting Evidence. So <laughs> someday they'll do an episode about the show about you. Exactly, yeah. So. I'll just disappear, and you'll be, like, prime uh, a chance to uh, to drive back up there and uh, go back to the location. That was the – John really, really hit it, hit on that location. He, he felt that the uh, – that her spirit was definitely there. He felt that uh, – out of, out of all the places we investigated on season one, he said, "I think this place is actually haunted." And um, so, you know, maybe maybe we'll get a chance to uh, to drive up there and and uh, and check out the location. I think I can remember actually where it was too. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. We uh, we actually did three episodes from season one in uh, in Massachusetts, so we've been up there quite a few times. Well, we'll uh, we'll make sure that with uh, Derek Bartlett being present at the conference as well, we'll get you out there and seeing some of the more haunted sites around Cape Cod since uh, it's right in our backyard. I can't wait. All right, and we'll grab you and we'll make you come on Spooky South Coast because we'll be broadcasting live from that conference as well. You betcha. I'm looking forward to that too. All right, well, thank you for just and uh, please keep us up to date with everything. Maybe once the season gets going, we'll get back in touch with you and when you can actually talk about some of these cases. I would love to. All right, thank you so much. For joining us, Patrick Burns of Haunting Evidence on Court TV. The new season starts next month. Make sure that you tune in. And uh, also you can go to the Ghost Doc website, uh, the Ghost Hounds website. It's all linked up on our site, SpookySouthCoast.com. Just click on the blog there, and you can get all the information. And, of course, he's one of our friends on MySpace, which is also a very good way to get a hold of him as well. So we are coming up on the news, and then when we come back, we are going to have our Week in Weird segment will make its return. The last couple of weeks we've run into some problems time-wise, and we haven't been able to do it, so it will make its big return. And then after that, we will talk to Rob Trembley, the organizer of the first annual CERT Para Conference. We'll talk to him, and I think Keith Johnson's going to check in with us a little bit later on as well. He'll also be president of that conference, so stay tuned. We've got a whole bunch more coming up for you right here on Spooky South Coast. <laughs> 
You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. shut the mics off if we swore then yeah we're in trouble hey folks at planetparanormal.com how are you liking the show so far well you can let us know all you have to do is go to our website spookysouthcoast.com and you can get a hold of us that way there's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us our myspace myspace.com slash spooky south coast uh, there's also the email address spooky crew at spooky south coast.com uh, you can let us know you know, what do you think of the show? Do you like it? Is it your first time listening? Where are you listening from? Let us know. Give us a little info. Let us know about yourself. Uh, what interests you? What kind of guests you'd like to hear on Spooky South Coast? Uh, if you'd also like to get in touch with us, we have a brand new way of doing so. Uh, fun and exciting uh, new thing that we're doing. We started it this week for the first time ever. We are now doing live Wednesday night internet chats. Uh, our friend Carl, who was nice enough uh, to start a website called sscfan.com, uh, a fan site for Spooky South Coast, has a chat room on there uh, that he runs during the show. While you're listening to SpookySouthCoast.com, you can go on there, chat with other listeners about what we're talking about. Uh, we can't really read it here because the station computers kind of block us out from, from accessing that. But, you know, Carl keeps us up to date with people are writing, so we thought we'd give everybody a chance to interact with us that way as well. So every Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, if you go to sscfan.com, Click on the chat board there, the chat room. Uh, somebody from the Spooky Crew will be there. Uh, myself, Tim Weisberg, uh, Matt Costa, the Silent Assassin, takes part. Matt Moniz, the Science Advisor, is up. Uh, I think you're up for this week, right? You said you'd you'd be in there this week. Every, yeah. Everybody was asking for you this week. Well, next week should be better. Next okay. Wednesday is my birthday. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna save that till the end, but ah. yeah, next Wednesday is your birthday. And uh, well, you know, we on MySpace, we get the little thing that tells you when your friend's birthdays are so but uh you should be online there because uh, audrey was asking for you luann everybody was on there looking for you so uh the girls from uh, tennessee wraith hunters were looking for you so we'll make sure that you are there this wednesday we can all, talk about all, all women huh yeah well yeah pretty much yeah and then matt and carl and myself my wife was even in there she was in there spooky wife so uh, if you join us Wednesday nights from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern in the chat room and sscfan.com, we can talk about all things paranormal. That's where we're going to give you uh, uh, a little bit of a, who the guest is going to be on the show for that week. We're going to give you a little bit of advance notice there, and we can, we can talk about that there as well. So it was a good time. It was supposed to be one hour, and then I noticed Ghost Hunters was on. They were running a little marathon, so we kind of expanded into the second hour, and we were just talking about all kinds of stuff, some interesting stuff uh, 
Uh, we were talking about the, the Freetown State Forest. We were talking about uh, UFO abduction, all kinds of things. You never know what's going to pop up there. So it'll be different variations of the three of us, the spooky crew, involved in these chats, as well as we're going to bring in some of our friends, uh, frequent guests of the show like Chris Balzano, Jeff Belanger. We're going to get all of our friends to at least put in one go-round here and, and participate in these live chats. So check them out Wednesdays at 8. And uh, we just had a great first-hour discussion with Patrick Burns of Haunting Evidence. Perhaps we can get him to do one of these sometime. If you missed that first hour and you're just tuning into the WBSM airwaves or the planetparanormal.com airwaves right now, uh, you can always download our show. We put it up for podcast the very next day. You can get it on our website's blog, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also get it off iTunes and wherever you download any fine paranormal podcast, you'll find us there. And if you don't, let us know and we'll add it there as well. So that's uh, our little self-plug section. What else? We got the new T-shirts and hats up for sale yet? We have them. We have them. They're sitting. They're, they're sitting there. We got them in a box. So if you want to get the new Spooky South Coast T-shirts or hats, just give us an email, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll hook you up. What's it? Sixteen dollars for a T-shirt. Yep. And uh, twenty dollars for a hat. Yep. They have, they have these nice uh, flex fit hats. They, they're not a fitted hat. You don't need to actually give us your size, but they fit like a fitted cap. They are beautiful. They are absolutely gorgeous. And this is coming from not a guy a hat, that doesn't wear hats. Not a hat guy at all. And uh, they Do have still the, have bumper stickers. We have bumper stickers if you want dollar each. Dollar each for a bumper okay. sticker. Pens. We have spooky South Coast pens. Every uh, order gets a free pen. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today. What's the Oh, it's I feel, I feel so very weird. The week weird. All right, and our first story from the week for the week and weird this week comes from Newsweek. Docs change the way they think about death by Jerry Adler. Consider someone who has just died of a heart attack. His organs are intact and he hasn't lost any blood. All this happened is that his heart has stopped beating. The definition of, quote, clinical death, and his brain is shut down to conserve oxygen. But what has actually died? As recently as 1993, when Dr. Sherwin Newland wrote the bestseller How We Die, sorry, wrote the bestseller How We Die, the conventional answer was that it was his cells that had died. The patient couldn't be revived because the tissues of his brain and heart had suffered irreversible damage from lack of oxygen. This process was understood to begin after just four or five minutes. If the patient doesn't receive cardiopulmonary resuscitation within that time, and if his heart can't be restarted soon thereafter, he is unlikely to recover. That dogma went unquestioned until researchers actually looked at oxygen-starved heart cells under a microscope. What they saw amazed them, according to Dr. Lance Becker, an authority on emergency medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. After one hour, he said, we couldn't see the evidence that cells had died. We thought we'd done something wrong. In fact, cells cut off from their blood supply died only hours later. But if the cells are still alive, why can't doctors revive someone who has been dead for an hour? Because once the cells have been without oxygen for more than five minutes, they die when their oxygen supply is resumed. It was that astounding discovery, Becker says, that led him to post as the led to him led him to his post as the director of Penn Center for Resuscitation Science, a newly created research institution opening at one of medicine's newest frontiers, treating the dead. Biologists are still grappling with the implications of this new view of cell death, not passive extinguishment like a candle flickering out when you cover it with a glass, but an active biochemical event triggered by reperfusion, the resumption of oxygen supply. 
The research takes them deep into the machinery of the cell to the tiny membrane-enclosed structures known as mitochondria, where cellular fuel is oxidized to provide energy. Mitochondria control the process known as aptosis. Aptosis. The program death of abnormal cells that is the body's primary defense against cancer. It looks to us, says Becker, as if the cellular surveillance mechanism cannot tell the difference between a cancer cell and a cell being reperfused with oxygen. Something throws the switch that makes the cell die. With this realization came another, that standard emergency room procedure had it exactly backwards. When someone collapses on the street of cardiac arrest, if he's lucky, he will receive immediate CPR, maintaining circulation until he can be revived in the hospital. But the rest will have gone 10 or 15 minutes or more without a heartbeat by the time they reach the emergency department. And then what happens? We give them oxygen, Becker says. We jolt the heart with paddles. We pump in epinephrine to force it to beat so it's taking out more oxygen. Blood-starved heart muscle is suddenly flooded with oxygen, precisely the situation that leads to cell death. Instead, Becker says, we should aim to reduce oxygen uptake, slow metabolism, and adjust the blood chemistry for gradual and safe reperfusion. Researchers are still working on how to best do this. A study at four hospitals published last year by the University of California showed a remarkable rate of success in treating sudden cardiac arrest with an approach that involved, among other things, a cardioplegic blood infusion to keep the heart in a state of suspended animation. Patients were put on a heart-lung bypass machine to maintain circulation to the brain until the heart could be safely restarted. The study involved just 34 patients, but 80% of them were discharged from the hospital alive. In one study of traditional methods, the figure was about 15%. Becker also endorses hypothermia, lowering the body temperature from 37 to 33 degrees Celsius, which appears to slow the chemical reactions touched off by reperfusion. He has developed an injectable slurry of salt and ice to cool the blood quickly so that he hopes to make that part of the standard emergency response kit. In an emergency department, he said, you work like mad for half an hour on someone whose heart has stopped, and finally someone says, I don't think we're going to get this guy back, and then you just stop. The body on the card is dead, but its trillions of cells are still alive. Becker wants to resolve that paradox in favor of life. So, Matt, you were shaking your head during the whole thing. This makes perfect sense to you, it seems. Absolute sense, yes. And if they can use these methods to, you think we'll see a much higher uh, success rate in being able to resuscitate people? Oh, most definitely. Which leads me to believe uh, that on that little island of yours, you've already been practicing this with things that have already died. I'm not going to comment. So these barbecues that you've been having are just the byproduct of failed resuscitation experiments? Is that what you're telling me? Um, maybe. Okay. Well, moving on. The other rumor is it's the remnants of cattle mutilations that I've had shipped to me, you know, parts of that well, the, I haven't finished analyzing. The theory we've been working on is that on that island, uh, we talked about this in the chat room, on that island you are actually creating uh, Dr. Moreau-type creatures of your own and, it kind of looks like a hodgepodge of uh, DNA there. So you do have a DNA sequencer, but... Yes, I do. Have you built a DNA resequencer, is what we're wondering. I am not going to tell. <laughs> what do you have for us, Matt? Uh, kryptonite. Really? Kryptonite? I thought I was feeling a little bit ill. Well, this comes from the BBC. Kryptonite is no longer just the stuff of fiction feared by cape superheroes. A new mineral matching its unique chemistry as described in the film Superman Returns, has been identified in a mine in Siberia. Serbia, sorry. According to movie and comic book storylines, kryptonite is supposed to be the element that saps Superman's powers whenever he's exposed to its large green crystals. The real mineral is white and harmless, says Dr. Chris Stanley, 
a meteorologist, uh, sorry, a mineralogist at London's Natural History Museum. I'm afraid it's not green, and it doesn't glow either, Stanley told BBC News, although it will react to ultraviolet light by fluorescing pinkish-orange. Researchers from the mining group Rio Tinto discovered the unusual mineral and enlisted the help of Dr. Stanley when they could not match it with anything known previously to science. Once the London expert had unraveled the mineral's chemical makeup, he was shocked to discover this formula was already referenced in literature, albeit literary fiction. Towards the end of my research, I searched the web using the mineral's chemical formula, sodium lithium boron silicate hydroxide, and was amazed to discover that that same scientific name, written on a case of rock containing kryptonite, stolen by Lex Luthor from a museum in the film Superman Returns. The new mineral does not contain fluorine, which it does in the film, and is white rather than green, but in all other respects, the chemistry matches that which the rock containing kryptonite. The mineral is relatively hard, but is very small grained. Each individual crystal is less than five microns, or uh, five million, you know, five millionths of a uh, meter. A millionth of a meter is very small across. The mineral cannot be called kryptonite under international nomenclature rules because it has nothing to do with krypton, a real element in the periodic table that takes the form of a gas, which is true. Instead, it will be formally named jaderite, which it is described in the European Journal of Mineralogy later this year. Jaderite is the name of the place where the Serbian mine is located. So we can't call it kryptonite, but we know that it is kryptonite. So if, uh, if there is a real-life Lex Luthor and he can get his hands on it, then the world is going to be crippled without Superman. Hmm. Or a superhero is not real, and I'm just imagining it. I don't know. I saw Spider-Man 3. It looked pretty real to me. Was that a documentary? I think it was. Yeah. It was very very well done for a documentary. I was, I was surprised at the camera angles that they had. Speaking of documentaries, which I'm sure you won't be at all, what do you have for us, Matt Costa? <laughs> China has claimed recently to have caused a snowfall for the first time as part of, the, of an, an attempt to control the weather. Officials in the Meteorological Bureau in Tibet said that they have used rain seeding techniques to trigger a snowfall. The Bureau said it produced just under a half inch of snow at a height of 15,000 feet. The experiment was conducted in the hope it would lead to alleviate drought in the northern Tibet Plateau, whose grasslands are turning brown as global warming melts and drains as permafrost. The government also hopes that the project will benefit the depleting river systems of China. China is the world's largest practitioner of rain seeding, a controversial procedure that involves releasing silver iodine as a catalyst into clouds either by aircraft or firing cannon shells into them. Though this practice is usually used to alleviate drought, Beijing is of, often uses this rain seeding technique to ensure blue skies over major events. 
Authorities have already promised to use rain seeding before the Olympics to clear the often gloomy August skies over the opening ceremony. You know who else can make it rain? Is that Superman? Is there anything Superman cannot do? No, because that would just juggle kryptonite. That's, That's true. true. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, Superman can make it rain. So as long as there's no kryptonite around, they could always use him. You know what's interesting? Uh, not to get off on a tangent here, but uh, there were spe- uh, there were people that were out there, conspiracy theorists out there, uh, when Hurricane Katrina happened, saying that it was actually a uh, chemical, you know, uh, climactic chemical attack from China that they actually have the ability to cause these type of storms and that it was the Chinese uh, government or whatever that actually caused that hurricane to form and wipe out part of the United States. Well, if you really want to know some of the truth, the, our own government has been doing weather studies uh, or weather attempts at weather manipulation since the 30s. One of the people that uh, they basically stole his research was Wilhelm Mike and the Cloudbuster and stuff like that, if you want to look up stuff. Uh, they, they actually physically came and shut him down, arrested him, and put him uh, in jail and took his research and told him, you know, we're taking this over. Don't bother talking about this anymore. So. Well, that leads to a whole new saying here in New England. If you don't like the weather, blame the government. So that'll work. All right, that is the Week in Weird for this week. If you have any weird stories you'd like to pass along, just go to the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com, put it up there. Uh, we will be able to read it because uh, we'll write it down ahead of time. We can't access it in the studio. But we will write it down ahead of time, and uh, we will read it on the air, and if we do, we will give you full credit. So we will be right back with more Spooky South Coast in just a moment. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. We are back. We're back in black. We're all wearing black tonight, which is uh, not an uncommon thing here on Spooky South Coast. Again, we're talking about the CERT Paraconference tonight, and we have the organizer of that event on the phone line with us right now. Rob Trembley from CERT, the Spirit Encounter Research Team, has, is putting together this amazing event. It's going to be uh, on September 23rd at the Colonial House Inn on Main Street in Yarmouth Port. Uh, it is, uh, I'm sorry, September 22nd and 23rd at the Colonial House Inn in Yarmouth Port. The cost for the conference is $150 uh, before June 30th, $200 thereafter. Uh, what you get, you get admission to the conference, a buffet lunch, a tour of a haunted inn, a meet and greet. Day one will feature speakers like Rob Trembley from CERT, 
uh, Rick Brovere, the medium from CERT, Keith Sandra and Carl Johnson, along with Andrew Graham, all of New England Anomalies Research. Our guests in the first hour, Patrick Burns of Haunting Evidence and Spooky South Coast Front, Derek Bartlett, President and Founder of Capers. Day two, we'll have uh, vendor tables and workshops, all kinds of uh, different activities to get involved with. And the man behind it all is on the phone with us right now. How are you tonight, Rob? I'm doing good. This How is, are you? I'm very well. Spooktacular, as we like to say here. This <laughs> is this is a huge, uh, if you'll pardon the phrase, undertaking. Exactly. Um, it's been a lot of work. And, and it's been pretty irritating. <laughs> well, I mean, so far, uh, you, you've gotten to see the... the uh, behind-the-scenes side of putting together these conferences. Everybody, when they go to them and they, they have a great time and they meet speakers like uh, the lineup that you have and they participate in workshops, they don't realize just how much work actually goes into it for months and months ahead of time. Yeah, you know, like I said, it, it is a really big headache. Now, what made you decide to put on a conference? Uh, there's not a lot of them in this area. Is that something that kind of got your, uh, got your attention? Um, kind of, and also the fact that... Um you know, there's a lot of you know great speakers out there. You know, with a lot of knowledge that they can share. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm always looking to gain knowledge. And by putting together an event like this and bringing together uh, some of these uh, different minds in, in the paranormal field, uh, what what is it that you think will make your conference you know stand out? Besides, loca- I mean, you got location working in your favor because, like I said, there's not very many around here. Mm-hmm. I, you know what I think it is, if you, if you want my opinion? Go for it. I, I like your approach to, to the way that you're doing things. You're bringing in, you know, people that you want to listen to, people that you want to hear, people that you want to learn from. Exactly. And that's just going to carry over to other people. That curiosity and interest level is what's going to help people realize, you know, this is a place that they need to be. Exactly. Uh, is there, I mean, have you had dealings with uh, Derek or, or Keith or Patrick or any of these guys in the past? Have you worked with them? or? or... Um, yes, I have, actually. I've done some stuff with Keith and Sandra. Um, actually, I've also done stuff with Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much about it. So, and then everybody else is just people that have really gotten, you know, grabbed your interest in one way or another. I exactly. mean, you can't be on Cape Cod and, and talk about ghosts without having Derek Bartlett along. That's true. I don't think he'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's very protective of the paranormal. Uh, history of Cape Cod, he wants to make sure that, uh, you know, it, it's well represented, and I, I think he'll do a good job of, of, of talking about that stuff there. Now, you're not from Cape Cod area, so what made you decide to actually hold the event on the Cape? <clears throat> okay, what, uh, you know, what made us decide to have it there was the fact that we had already been to the inn, you know, mm-hmm. several times, and it's a great place, you know, there's a lot of history, a lot of stuff going on, and... We thought it would be appropriate. And so you, when you say you've been there, you've been there for investigations? Yes. Uh, was that uh, initiated by you, or were they requesting an investigation? Um, actually, I think I had, had invested. Getting a little tongue-tied here. I had actually initiated it. And did you get uh, some, some good evidence out of there? Yes, we did. And what, what kind of activity has uh, been reported there? Um, actually, I'm going to... Be silent on that. Okay. You know, this is pretty much, you know, how the innkeeper is. Mm-hmm. He wants people to find out for themselves. Okay. But, I mean, that there's, um, at least there'll be quantifiable uh, experiences. You think when, when yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little bit overt. It's not like, uh, 
You know, you don't have to have psychic abilities to perceive what's going on there? No. And uh, do you think bringing in all these ghost hunters uh, all at one time is going to help increase the activity, or do you think maybe it'll uh, shy away a bit? Um, might might shy, you know, shy away a little bit. But, um, you know, what I'm also trying to do is work something out with Derek. Actually, this was his idea. Um, he was actually offering to do the walking tours. Oh, yeah. Those those are very popular, the uh, the tours that he does in Barnstable? Yes. And so you're going to work that into into this weekend? Um, we're trying to. Uh, <laughs> I hope he can because I know he's – I talked to him last week and he's, he's already booked uh, – almost into Halloween season with private tours and everything. So uh, it's really taken off. And I think if, yeah, if you can incorporate that, it just helps present more of the haunted Cape Cod history. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you were telling me about something else that you have uh, that you're working on, uh, a group venture <coughs> with Wraith Paranormal as well. Yes. Um, actually, I had come up with an, with an idea of um, pretty much going around, you know, picking up cemeteries and pretty much resurrecting you know, cemeteries that have pretty much been forgotten about. Um, it's called, you know, Project Resurrection, and it's pretty much the brainchild of two Massachusetts IPI reps, you know, myself and T.J. Tucker from Wraith. And so when you're talking about these these old cemeteries that are from, like, colonial times and and the years after where they're not maintained by any town, they're not, not maintained by any families... You got it. So many of them are just left behind uh, as developments spring around around them, and they, they can't move them, they can't do anything with them, so they just sit there and they go to waste. Mm-hmm. Now, what exactly do you have planned for these? Are you going to, like, replace headstones or just clean them up? Um, pretty much what we're going to do is we're going to you know, try to get rid of all the overgrowth, mm-hmm. if any. Um, we're planning on talking to some of the monument you know, companies where, you know, you know, to see if they can help you know, restore some of the stones. Um, but pretty much, what, you know, what we're planning is just a statewide event. You know, and what, see whatever groups you know want to join in. One of the things you said too is that you're trying to help, you know, give paranormal researchers a little bit better reputation because exactly they are seen as just going in and traipsing around these cemeteries and with no care and and that's not really the case. <laughs> I mean, most of the time when when this damage is done, it's not being done by the legitimate paranormal groups. It's being exactly. done by you know drunk teenagers. Exactly. So by doing this, hopefully it'll help increase the, you know, awareness to the fact that, you know, paranormal investigators, good paranormal investigators are respectful of these of these grounds, and, and they do treat them as the hallowed earth that they are. Exactly. Uh, now, one of the problems, though, uh, one of the biggest things that I think you would need to do in restoring these is helping to increase uh, security on them, and by making the neighborhoods, uh, the people that are around these cemeteries aware of what's going on, have them keep an eye on them because you know people turn a blind eye to these. They they look at them as eyesores. That's true. It's more you know they they need to help keep. You know, I don't want to say the tradition, but help keep the respect alive. So and where you are, I mean, are there in a number of these in your area? Because I know there's tons of them down here in the South Coast <coughs> area. Um, actually, I haven't found any so far in my area, but um. Yeah, I am looking. Well, we we live down here in Wareham. Uh, the, the Spooky Crew, we all live in Wareham. They're building a mall there, and they were out in the woods, you know, digging around to dig up for this mall, and they found a cemetery that people had forgotten was, was there. 
very few people knew it was even there. So there's probably tons of them out in the woods and that you don't, you know, or even with headstones removed, you're not even sure where they are anymore. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's a real shame. You know, it's really mortifying. You know, when you, you know, like when you think about it. Now, while, while you do these uh, restorations, will you also be doing investigations at the same time? Um, honestly, I'm not sure. Because, you know, Derek uh, tells us all the time, and a lot of paranormal investigators work under the theory that when you do uh, repairs, when you do renovations, that kind of draws out the spirit. So maybe when you're in there, even though it's in a positive way and you're helping to clean up, you know, it might just increase the level of activity. Sure. Well, if you're going to have uh, both Sir uh, and Wraith there, hopefully uh, some people can bring the shovels and the and the uh, the hedge trimmers, and the other people can bring the EMF detectors and the uh, digital voice recorders, and <laughs> you can work it out together. Exactly, and as I said too, um, we're hoping to have this as a state event. Mm-hmm. Um, get, so get many many groups involved. Exactly. And uh, so, uh, do you want people to get in contact with you at the CERT website to take part yes. in this? And that's CERT S E R T Paranormal dot com. Yes. And uh, you can also sign up for the conference there as well. Now, I know you have a very tight amount of uh, tickets available. Only 100 tickets are going to be available for this event, right? Yes. So you better act quickly. Uh, as we said before, there are $150 before June 30th, $200 after that. And I'm, I'm just thinking there won't be any left after June 30th, so you better uh, get on the ball now while there's still some left. Exactly. Now, are you going to... Uh, it's, you're going to speak at the conference. Do you have something in mind, a set presentation, or are you just going to kind of emcee the whole event, or, or is there a focused topic that you're going to present? Um, for starters, I am going to be opening it, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to touch briefly on a, on a lecture that I do mm-hmm. called Powers of the Mind. Ah. And you're talking about uh, psychic abilities? Or? Yes. And you also have a psychic in the group. Which, yes, uh, we do. We talked about that a little bit earlier with Patrick, how some groups will use a psychic, uh, some groups won't let a psychic anywhere near their investigation. Obviously, your approach is that you know psychics do have some value in the field, and you need to approach it from different avenues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like one thing that we found is, especially having you know a medium with us, is it kind of gives a little bit of comfort to the client. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like normally the you know like the medium will talk to the client, okay, you know, give them some peace, mm-hmm. and then like we'll research all the evidence that we had gathered, and then go back and you know reveal. Well, you know, think about it when you go to the doctor. You know, when you go to the doctor and they, they come in with all the machinery and they just start hooking you up to machines, you know, you get really, you know, unnerved by that. But when that when the nurse comes in or the doctor or somebody comes in with that, you know, that calm tone in their voice and they can explain things to you and let you know what's going on, you feel a little bit more at ease. Maybe that's the same role that a psychic can play in an investigation. Exactly. Uh, now, yeah, you know, like a lot of the clients that I've dealt with, mm-hmm. you know, they're like really, you know, scared, you know, that, like really freaked out, you know. And they're like, you know, I want it, to, you know, I want to go on now, you know. And then like come to find out, you know, from the medium, you know, that supposedly it was the spirit of her husband, and she never knew that. And then that helped, you know. Once you can identify it and you realize who it is, and you might not want it gone. Exactly. And and so you're going to handle that end of uh, things. What does Rick talk about? Uh, does he have a set presentation he gives as well? Um, honestly, I'm not sure what he's talking about. That's still to be, you know, to be announced. And, and we know Keith Johnson can talk about pretty much anything. Cause exactly. he, we, we've been talking about here the last few weeks. He's like a, 
an encyclopedia of paranormal knowledge. I mean, he's no, he's just done so much research, and he retains everything like a sponge. So who knows what he could be talking about? Has he has he given you any indication of what he might uh, have for his discussion? I think he might actually touch on uh, demonology 101. Oh, that's yeah. I've been dying to to catch that. He keeps promising he's going to present it here in the New Bedford area, but this will be perfect because we'll be there. We're going to be there broadcasting live, so uh, we'll be able to catch what Keith has to say and 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 see some of that because demonology is really uh, becoming a focus point for people. I think there's kind of like an increase in evil going on in the world, and that's drawing people's attention toward demonology. Is, is that something you see when you're out in the field doing investigations? Are you seeing more of a trend toward evil? Actually, so far I've been pretty much, you know, fortunate I have not. Yeah, you are fortunate if you haven't. So, and you also have, uh, you're going to have Carl there too, so yeah. as long as Carl doesn't shave, you'll be able to tell the difference between them. And, <laughs> and uh, Sandra as well, and Andrew Graham of Near. So, uh, Near is, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit different in their approaches some other groups. Uh, you know, Keith being a, a, a man of God, he's of a very religious background, and, and he brings that into his investigations. Uh, he has to, being a demonologist. I mean, if you believe in demons, you have to believe in angels. And, and he has talked with us in the past about that. Is that something that in your investigations comes into play a lot, the, the religious aspect of things? Um, yes. Is that just based on your own faith or other people in the group? Um, you know, pretty much, you know, like one thing that a lot of people don't realize is Rick Bovere, myself, and my wife are all ordained ministers. Oh, I, I was unaware. Or, ordained in what faith? Um, it's, it's an interfaith. Okay. And, you know, it's through an interfaith church, but we belong to a spiritualist church. And so that does enter into play then in your investigations, I would say? Yes. Is that uh, something that you present to the client as well, or is that just for your own guidance, your own protection when you're in there? Um, you know, we we tell the clients, you know, they seem you know like a lot more comfortable knowing that there's actual clergy in the house. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, so yeah, I guess uh, taking that same approach that Keith would, then uh, you know, like-minded people, you'll be able to. You know, both come at it from that point of view. Derek, uh, on the other hand, not really bringing that into the field with him. Uh, he is very fact-based, very, uh, you know, he, he's very skeptical of just about everything, and, and he needs to have things proven. Uh, do you know what he's going to be talking about? Because I know he does a, a great presentation on the dangers of the paranormal. Actually, I don't. He hasn't said anything. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he talks about, because he has... He has a presentation that uh, I haven't seen it yet myself. I, I'll, I'll be going to see it at their open meeting later on this year. But uh, people talk about that. They say, you know, that is people. A lot of people rethink what they're doing in the field when they hear that presentation, when they hear Derek share some of these experiences. I mean, he's a Marine. He's a big guy. And for him to be talking about, you know, the dangers of the paranormal, it really opens people's eyes. And uh, we talked to Patrick earlier, and we're convinced now he can, he, he can talk about just about anything as well. That's true. He's done. He's done the research as well. Uh, how did you hook up with Patrick as a guest? Uh, is, is it just knowing him through the Ghost Hounds Network and, and from Haunting Evidence? I think it was actually MySpace. <laughs> he is on everybody's MySpace. Patrick is a very friendly MySpace guy. Yeah, that's true. It, well, it's a great tool for for paranormal researchers to get together. Uh, so many of them, uh, you know, connect for the first time on there. They look at different approaches. They find out about different shows, different conferences, different ways to look at the 
uh, at the world of the paranormal. I mean, you guys are on MySpace. You have a MySpace for your group, uh, a personal one. You have one for the conference. Uh, I have actually got a total of three of them. Yeah. So uh, I can't even maintain one, so I'm impressed <laughs> I can maintain three. So are you finding that, you know, every day you open it up, there's friend requests of people, you know, other parts of the country that are finding out about your group based on this technology. Exactly. And hopefully that will help spread the word about the conference as well. Remember, it's September 22nd, September 23rd, 2007, at the Colonial House Inn on Yarmouth Port on Cape Cod. And uh, now you, you're going to call the you, – you're going to pay your $150 uh, or $200 if you wait too long uh, to get into the conference, and then you can reserve rooms at the inn uh, uh, in addition to that? Yes. Now um, – We do have a link for the inn's reservation site. Mm-hmm. Are they offering uh, some kind of uh, group discount to the um, to the conference pe- uh, attendees? As far as I know, it's uh, 140 a night. That's not bad at all. Um, two people per room. You get dinner and breakfast included. And yeah, and you're staying on a in a Cape Cod Inn, you know, in September. So to be able to get it for that price is crazy. You know, generally you, you're talking until October. It's two hundred, three hundred dollars a night. Easy. Yeah. So you're getting a, a hell of a deal there. And it's an excellent dinner. Mm-hmm. And you can just walk back to your room afterwards and do a little investigating in your own room. Exactly. Now, uh, you, you said that you've done some investigations there, and uh, I understand you can't really talk about it too much, but uh, are, th- are there any certain particular areas of the inn that are that are more haunted than others? Or are there certain places that if people are booking a room, they might want to ask for? Um, pretty much, I'd say the whole, you know, the whole, you know, the whole inn. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll we'll be haunting the uh, the buffet table. That's <laughs> we'll be haunting that quite a bit. And uh, <laughs> now, is there going to be uh, as you get closer to the conference, uh, and and you get more solidified, some of these uh, day two events? Are you going to announce those? Uh, the different workshops that'll be available. Do you want, kind of want those to be a surprise when people come to the event? Um, I will be announcing those. What What are some of the things that you're hoping to try to do in that? regard because uh, i'm assuming that uh, some of these speakers will be able to stick around and, and do some workshops i mean to have keith do a little bit of a one-on-one with people uh, you know in small groups with some of the evidence he he shows in his classes i know would be uh, a great tool for a lot of people just starting out in the field is that is that something you're looking at possibly doing bringing the speakers in the next day you got it i've already been in touch with uh, keith and a few others about it yeah, I think because when we first went to Keith's class and we saw the evidence that he presents, I mean, just it, Matt Moniz, who's been investigating this stuff for twenty plus years, you know, he saw some of this evidence and he his jaw dropped at some of it. It caught some of my attention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, some of the work he's done with uh, possession cases and and some of the footage he's gotten on film before of even orbs, which is something that's you know dismissed by a great deal of community. They'll show you orb fo- orb footage that you say, wait a minute. You know, there's got to be something to this. So we actually have a call on the line right now. It may be Mr. Johnson himself. Let's check it out. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good evening. It's me. It is Keith Johnson. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you, Tim? We were just talking about you. Oh, well, it's nice to be talked about. Well, Or speak of the devil and he shall appear. Exactly. How are you doing, Matt? How do you say speak of the devil to a demonologist? That's, that's, Makes sense. That's what he speaks about all the time. So That's true. We were just talking about the conference, and we were talking about, uh, in addition to having these speakers on the first night, uh, the workshops on the second day. Holding some sort of workshop that second day? We probably will, yes. 
probably be a what else a demonology workshop. Absolutely. And, and so that's kind of what your presentation is going to be on the first night too, talking about demonology. Yes. Yes, it will be about demonology. And you know, you've seen it uh, popping up uh, all over the place. So many groups now. We talked about it with cryptozoology. There's a number of groups that are starting a demonology department or have a quote-unquote demonologist as part of their group now without having the background info in it. And I know you've told us before that that's very dangerous to, to get into. So hopefully people who are hoping to become a demonologist can go to this conference and, and get a chance to listen to what you have to say, work with you a little bit, and see if it's right for them. That's exactly right, exactly right, Tim. We want to help educate the public as to the dangers and the pros and cons of getting into this type of work, that you just don't decide to step into it and that's it. It takes a great deal of research and a great deal of faith, too, and you have to know what you're dealing with. Yeah, not every paranormal... Anybody who wants to get involved in paranormal investigating can certainly find some sort of niche, but not everybody can be a demonologist. Well, that's true. That's very true, and I think you you really have to be called for it. But uh, if you really do feel you're being led to this type of work, then it does it does pay to be educated and get as much info as possible, and that's what we're trying to do. Now, you worked with Rob in CERT in the past, uh, and... What did you think when he tell, told you he was going to try to put together this conference? Because I'd be overwhelmed if I was Rob. Well, I'm sure it is very overwhelming, so I'm, I'm glad he's doing it and not me. <laughs> but we're really looking forward to it very much. That's what you're doing, Rob. You're doing all the dirty work for everybody else. That's true. Like I said, it's a headache. <laughs> well, hopefully you get plenty of Advil because uh, it'll only get worse as it gets closer and, and people are calling you saying, you know, all right, when is it again? It's on the website. Where is it again? It's on the website. Oh, yeah. It's on the website. <laughs> now, uh, Keith, have you, uh, I know that you uh, attend quite a few conferences during the course of the year. Have you uh, worked with Patrick Burns? I haven't worked with him, but I've had the pleasure of meeting him and uh, speaking with him for some time. We were at, of course, the uh, Unicon last year together. And though we didn't work together, uh, I would like the opportunity to do that. And it's going to be really fun having the opportunity to once again participate in the same conference where he's going to be at. So he's uh, a fascinating individual. Rob, uh, Patrick brought this up while we had him on in the first hour. He suggested the possibility of, uh, after after the conference is over Saturday night, maybe getting out to some of the haunted locations around the Cape and uh, poking around for a little while. If you guys are game, we're game. He actually suggested that to us as well. Yeah, so it might be, uh, it, it might be worth... Uh, Trying to put that together. I mean, sure, it'll be a long night <laughs> with another day of the conference scheduled the next day, but uh, we could definitely pull something uh, pull something off. Well, we, we know that uh, the Cape is a very haunted place. It seems to be concentrated there, and uh, there's uh, certainly quite a few hot spots around that area, so I'm sure we can pick a few out and uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to investigate the inn as well. Uh, oh, yeah, the inn itself is a fascinating place. And, uh, you know, we had some experiences there, and it was a wonderful time there. Great food, great food it was, too. <laughs> I highly recommend it. That's the added bonus is when you can always get a great meal out of it. As you know, Keith, you'll drive 200 miles to an investigation. They won't even offer you a sandwich. Oh, yeah, that's right. We always say don't expect the client to feed you <laughs> unless they <laughs> specify it ahead of time. But, uh yeah, sometimes that's true, but uh, at least at the end, we know it's going to be a good deal. Well, at this conference, they will definitely feed you. Uh, you'll also get a tour of a haunted inn, a meet and greet with all the great speakers, such as Rob and, and Rick from CERT, uh, Keith, Carl, and, 
Andrew and Sandra from Near, Patrick Burns of Haunting Evidence, Derek Bartlett of Capers. Uh, you can get more information by going to certparanormal.com. Uh, guys, we thank you for joining us tonight and letting everybody know about this conference. We can't stress enough how, how quickly these tickets, there's only 100 of them available, so they're going to go fast. That's right, so they do go fast. As soon as you hear this podcast, click on certparanormal.com and, and get your ticket now. Rob, you'll keep us up to date, right, and let us know, uh, you know, as, as we get closer, some of these workshops come back and, and keep us up to date on some of that stuff? Yes, I will. All right. And let us know about uh, the uh, Resurrection Project as well, too. All right, I will do that. All right, gentlemen, we thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, we will be back next week. We don't know exactly uh, who our guest is going to be yet. We are working on a few things, but we will definitely uh, have a show for you. We'll also be back on planetparanormal.com next week on this live stream. You can also join us Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, sscfan.com for our live chat and all week long on SpookySouthCoast.com. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. Stay spectacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again, tomorrow.